This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. It was an amazing Shruth Baruch Hashem. By the way, very interesting. It says somewhere, I didn't find it, but I know that I, I've heard it since I'm a little kid, that if it rains on Shruth, then it rains like 40 days, something like that, or 40 days during the summer. But if, that doesn't mean like a thunderstorm. That means like rain, you know, steady rain. So I'm thinking that this summer it's going to be very hot. We're not going to have a lot of rain. Because it didn't like really rain. There were thunderstorms. But anyway, I never found if any, anyone in this room can find out where that's written. Since I'm a little kid, I've been told that. If it rains on Shavuos, it rains the whole summer. Have you ever heard that? You've never heard that. Has anybody ever heard that? Okay. So, so if you can find out where that is written, please send me an email. Oh, not an email. Leave me a message. What? I don't know. It's a chutzlaritz thing. I don't know. All right. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Bahaloscha. Bahaloscha. Oh, Rosh Hashiv is here. I can start. Okay. Pasha's Bahaloscha begins. Dabe al Aaron, Vermata Elo, Bahaloscha's Haneros, Amupane, Amanoira. Speak to Aaron and tell him when he will bring up the Neros. Is this thing too loud? Okay. I sound here. I hear myself. <laughs> Scary what I sound like. Just a little lower. I don't really need it tonight anyway. Okay. Anyway, so with the mitzvah to Aaron Akohen to light the menorah. Last week's Pasha was Pasha's Nosso. Pasha's Nosso were, were the Nisim bringing their Kabanos. Aaron got, Sheva Levi didn't bring a carbon. Aaron got to light the menorah. But the interesting word that's used is That's When you will bring the candles up. That's a very, it's better for me. I don't know if it's better for you. It's all right. It's quieter. Okay. Ba'aloitzcha means to bring the candles up. That is not the correct Hebrew word. It should be ba'aloitzcha. When you will light the menorah. What's ba'aloitzcha? Ba'aloitzcha means when you go up. So Rashi says that he went up steps. That was one thing. But he says something very, very beautiful that anyone who is a teacher or a parent or a friend should know. That what... Aaron Cohen, who was Oyev Shalom, Reuter Shalom, he was the Mechanech, the Kahanim were the, were the Rebbeim. They were the teachers, because they only worked in the base of Migdash two weeks a year. That's why some Kahanim went out into working too hard, because it's in our genetics. We worked two, we worked two weeks, two weeks of high pressure, very high pressure in the base of Migdash. But the rest of the year, we were teachers. Hmm. Okay, so the Kahanim were teachers. So, it's very important. Who was the Kohen Gadol? Gadol was Aaron. So what is the Torah telling Aaron? That it's not good enough to light the menorah. The menorah represents Torah, enlightenment, light. It's not good enough to just light it and walk away. You have to stand there till till you see that on its own, the fire, the candle is lit. What do I mean? I'm sure many of you have lit candles, right? And if you light, let's take a birthday candle, whatever, you light a candle and you take the match away, sometimes it, it, it fizzles out and it doesn't stay lit. But if you stand there with the match and you hold it on the wick until the full flame comes up, then you take away the match, you have nothing to worry about. So what the Torah is telling us over here is that when you work with children, when you, when, or a friend, or your own children, it doesn't have to be a teacher, it's not good enough and, and I sort of get this over my head a lot of times from girls, and, and they're 100% right. That it's not good enough, like a girl many years told me, you can't just read Wallstein, you know, tell me what to do and get me started and then walk away. Doesn't work. You gotta answer my phone calls. Doesn't work because you know what's gonna happen, Red Wallstein? If you're gonna do that, then you're gonna think I'm doing well, and you're gonna think I'm growing, and meanwhile you walked away and the, and the candle went out. So, that's what he's, that's what the Torah is telling him over here. You got, like she said to me, she said, you gotta walk me to my chuppah. You gotta take me to the finish line. It's not good enough in chinuch just to tell somebody a good word. That's sort of what we're trying to do here in Ornava. And in our, in our seminary, in, and I'm not doing an advertisement, I'm just trying to explain to you the thought behind it in our seminary in our terrace Nava, and that's why we have this rule that teachers, all except me, because I'm the boss, so they have to do what I say, but I don't have to do what they say. But 
our teachers, Rabbi Miller, Rabbi Skaith, all the teachers that we have here, part of their job is giving a class, but then also making appointments, three hours of appointments to talk to girls. Because it's, it's very nice that girls come to Shurim, don't get me wrong. It's very nice that we get you excited and, and invigorated and we give you chizik, but you got to stick with it. And that's what the Torah is telling you over here. Just lighting the candle is not enough. you got to be continuous over and over and over until you know that that person is on their own, that they can, they can handle it on their own. And even then, once in a while, you gotta, you gotta give them, you know, you gotta give them chizik. So the lotion that the Torah is using here is not hadlaka. Lightning is not, a, not enough. But, it has to be bahaloitcha. And if you look at Rashi, Rashi's words are, shitzarich lahadlik, you need to light it, at me'oleha, until you see that the flame is going up on its own. So just, People should know that you know it's one thing to give a good word, but you got to stick with it. I'm talking to myself. I'm just letting you guys listen in, because I should learn that Muslim Haskell more than anybody else. But then again, I was in a um, hotel for Shavuos, and um, so I spoke four times over Shavuos, and uh, Baruch Hashem, people got to sleep. You know, <laughs> they came to my speech and they got to sleep because they were up all Shavuos night, but. I saw when I was there, when I was talking to the people, that a lot of them were telling me that, you know, there's many places where you get this chizik and then you leave and it sort of fizzles because there's no, you know. So I explained to them that, you know, my Rebbe told me you have to treat every person that you teach in chinuch like your own children. And that, you know, I feel very bad that many girls call me and I don't always return the call on the same day or in the same week. Usually within a month or two I, I, I try. I try to do my best, but I feel very bad. I don't always get a chance to call back or send, e- I don't know how to send the emails, so I have to read it. And then if it's a text message, girls, don't text message me. Not that I have anything, you know, whatever, text messaging, we'll talk about it a different time, but I can't text message you back because it takes me 40 minutes to write the word and. <laughs> so, so I get these eight page text messages. You know, that, you know, the, the phone makes a noise when you get a text message, it goes beep, and then beep, and then beep, and I'm figuring whoever's sending me a text message wrote two words. And on one beep, girls are able to write 25 sentences. So, you know, and I got to write back. And to write back a sentence takes me 40 minutes. So what I told them in, in this hotel was that you have to give the... See, it means it's true. So uh, that, that after 120 years, you have to answer to Hashem that you treat, you treat his children like your own children. So my children, I don't call back either. So, don't get insulted. <laughs> I love them very much, don't get me wrong, but don't always get a chance to call them back. But anyway, the Torah is telling you, if you're in Chedach, stick with the flame. Don't just light it and walk away. you got to stick with the flame. And the whole thing of, of Hadlaka, of fire, fire is very interesting. Fire, people, you know, people don't think about things. Fire is very interesting, because fire is against nature. It's against gravity. Gravity pushes everything down. Right? Gravity pushes everything down. You take fire, and it's pulling up. And then if you take the match or the candle, and you turn it over, right? You turn a, a glass of water over, the water comes out. Sand, sand comes out. But fire, when you turn the candle over, it ends up still going up and burning your hand. Fire is always reaching for the stars. It's always reaching up. So fire is represented near of a neshama. And you can take a Jew, and, and just today I was going through a situation with a girl talking to her, and you can mamish see that you can take a Jew and you can turn him over. And you can put him in the biggest dirt and filth in the world that Neshama is always reaching up. It's always reaching up. It defies gravity. It defies the world. Because usually if you take someone and you put him in the deep, he's in the deep. And Neshama is always fighting. It's always flickering like a flame. And the interesting thing about fire, I learned one thing in physics in my life when I was in school. And... As you know, there's a, a theory of something called displace, displacement, which means that if you if you take a glass of water and you pour out half, so you now only have a half a glass of water. Or if you pour out the whole thing, you have an empty glass of water. And that no two things in the world can occupy the same space. I'm sure you all learned this in physics. No two objects can occupy the same space. So, fire, if you take a candle, you can light a hundred candles from that candle... And the original candle does not fall in to the theory of displacement because the original candle loses nothing. So fire can light fire, 
and the original fire loses nothing, which is only by fire. Find me another element that can do that. Only by fire. In fact, you can take a spark in the woods in California, and all of a sudden you have a million acres burning. And when they say, where did it start? It started from a cigarette. And you look at that cigarette, you're like, ah, come on. And the answer is that fire doesn't go under those laws. Fire is a proof of the neshama. Everything Hashem put into this world, if you look at it, it's a proof of the neshama. And fire has a, a double power. Just like a person has can destroy and can create, fire can destroy and fire can create. It can burn a house down, right? And it can boil for you a, night, a good coffee and it helps a person cook. And it can melt two pieces of metal and put them together. It, it's a creator and a destroyer depending on how it's used. And the same thing with a person. A person is toiv and a person is ra. He can either create or he can dis- destroy. He has bechiri, he has a choice. So so the element of fire is a very interesting thing. There's a kava yashar that says that there are four colors in fire. If you look into fire, there are four colors in fire. I think it's blue. yellow, blue, red, white. And and he connects it to the yudke vavke. To the name of Hashem. Fire is a very holy thing. So here, in the beginning of this parsha, this parsha represents fire, lighting up. And a person has a choice to either use the fire in their soul to create, to share, or to use that fire to become angry and have hatred and to destroy another person. We have the power to destroy more than one person. And we have the power to ignite a person, to light them up, to show them R. And that is a, 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 a flame that's in every single person. And I, I can tell you as a Rebbe, you see it many times. Sometimes you've got to get to that fire, but it's always, it's always there. And the brighter the fire, the hotter the fire, the more that person can become. On the other side, the more that person can destroy. So the people who will have the shamas that are full of fire... They're either, either they're in Kirov, either they're, 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 they're out there and they're warming people's souls and they're lighting up the room for people, or they're burning people down. It's one or the other. So we need to understand that the fire that Hashem put in us, this fire that's in our soul, that has to be used to sit up Shavuos night and learn, to, to volunteer, to help people, to, to, to bring people closer to Torah. And the way to use that is to keep it to keep it, not to just light something and walk away from it, but to keep it there. Anyway, that's that's the lesson from the word, from the actual word of of Baha'u'llah. Interesting that that a person's body temperature. I spoke about this once before. Is always ninety eight point six, but if you do an MRI or a sonogram or anything of that person, you're not going to see any wood or coal or gasoline. It's too expensive these days. But there's no, you don't see anything in that person that's that's keeping them at this temperature. At 98.6, it's a system that a Kodesh Baruch But there is Aish in every single person. A person is made from Aish and Mayim and Afar and Ruach, fire and water and, and Afar, which is ground, and wind. We have all four things in our body, right? Water, most of the person is made out of water. What, 90% of the person is made out, is, is made out of water. Today, more, it's probably 90% of the person is made out of Diet Coke. But normally, <laughs> 90% of the person was made out of water. And then there's a fire in the person. And then the, the skin is made out of afar, and the ruach is the person breathing. So the Asian person that we're at 98.6 all the time, unless you get sick, then you go up a little bit. But we're usually at 98.6. It's amazing. If you think about it, you don't have a battery. You're not plugged into the wall. You don't run on gasoline. This whole, this whole world has a big problem today because anything that you want to run, right, electricity, whatever you want to run, you have to use oil or coal, some type of fuel. And a human being, you could say the fuel of a human being is to eat food. The food doesn't give you the fire. The food keeps you alive so that you can produce the warmth. But it's not, it's not like, all right, I'll eat, I'll eat the tomatoes. Well, don't eat tomatoes, but I'll eat, I'll eat lettuce and I'll be 94. And if I eat the red meat, I'll be 98.6. Or a person's body just has this furnace inside it that keeps it at 98.6. And we know that in the world, the world that we live, there's a, a balance between Gashmias and Ruchnias. So just like your body is always at a 98.6 temperature, physically, your soul is also always giving out warmth, spiritually. 
The problem is, how do you use that warmth? So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So, we go on a little bit in this parasha. I don't know if girls play the Chumash game, but there's a game called the Chumash game. Now, the Chumash game for little boys is you take your Chumash and you open it up. If you get a bunch of pays, that's worth 50 points. If you get a bunch of Samachs, teach you a new game. It's worth 100 points. But if you get the upside down nuns, that's worth 1,000 points. Now, what's the upside down nuns? I can't open a safe retirement for, for you tonight. But in this week's power show, there are two upside down nuns. The, the Pasha is, if you want to look in the Chumash, it's Shishi, where it says, And it's brought down that those, those psukim, that's Laman Hay and Laman Vav, it's two psukim, and there's a nun upside down and a nun upside down between these two psukim. And that is considered a Pasha on its own. So really, there's more than five books. Because that, by Hebrew Sayyaran, according to some people, that is a parsha on its own. So every every boy knows the famous upside down nuns. Because if you can open up to that, you pretty much won the game. The question is, what happened over here? Why in the Torah? It's in the Sefer Torah, not just in Yehomish. In the Sefer Torah, why do we have upside down nuns? Has anybody ever here seen these upside down nuns? And we ever get a chance in class? Ever show it to you in a Sefer Torah? Oh, it's very very interesting. Okay, so, I guess, yeah, they don't open up safer terms in your classes. Okay. Anyway, so the question is, why do we have upside-down nuns? So I'm going to tell you why. What's the name of the When they, when they carried the Aron. And it's what we said when you open up the, when you open up the, um, the, Aron uh, So, but that's not, that's not the reason that, it's not, it's not about these two psukim. I'll tell you why there's, there's upside-down nuns. Rashi says, Rashi says that they're upside down nuns to split up the parshas. The Sifse Chachamim says, what, why do you have to, I'm going to read it from inside, why do you have to split up the parshas? So he says like this. Why is Vayihibin Sayah HaOron, about carrying the Aron, dropped in over here? And why do we have these upside down nuns? Today, Lahafsik, main Peronias, the Peronias. To separate between tragedy and tragedy. like it's written. What is written? What was the tragedy? Says the Sif Sechachamin, Peronias Rishayna is Menasta Mehar Hashem. This is very important after, after Shavuos. The Pasik right before the upside down nuns says, Vayisu Mehar Hashem They traveled right after they got the Torah. They ran away, they ran away from our Sinai, and the Sister Chum says, like a little kid when the bell rings for recess, he takes off right out of the door. Instead of sitting at the bottom of our Sinai, Hashem just came and gave you the Torah. Sit down and ask questions, have asked the rabbi, have asked the God, right? Sit down, take out your standards, start learning, right? No, they're out of here. We're out of here. By Yisu. Torah is over, class is over, they ran. Which was a very bad, who said of course? Forced. Oh, they were forced. No, they weren't forced, they ran. No, they were forced to get the Torah. Yeah. But they said, Nasev and Nishma. So you're asking a very good question. She's asking an amazing question tonight. She's asking like this. She didn't get a chance to say the whole question. But I'll tell you what she's asking. She's asking a question like this. What happened? Hashem went to B'nai Yisrael. And he said, you want the Torah? And they said, We don't even want to understand it. We're ready to do it. Right? Then it says, Hashem took the mountain and he covered it over them and he said, either you take my Torah or you're going to be buried under this mountain. So she's asking a beautiful question. She says, I don't understand. If they already said, that we're ready to do it. Why are you forcing them? What do you have to force them for? They already said yes. It's like, you know, uh, you ask your kid, can you get me a glass of soda? Yes, Tati, no problem. I'm going to get a glass of soda. And you're, you, you take out your baseball bat. If you don't get me a glass of soda, I'm going to whack your head off. And the kid's like, Tati, I told you I'm going. Like, why are you? So this is what happened here. 
They said to Hashem, we love you, no problem, we're ready to go. And then Hashem says, yeah, you're ready to go, I'll show you. Takes a mountain, puts it over the head, says, either you take the Torah, right? That's what you're asking, right? That's what you're asking. Oh, well, just, it's, it's a good question. It's a good question. No, they ran because, for the same reason, last night, when Shavuos was over, everybody ran to their room to take out their cell phone to see how many messages they got over the last two days. The same reason, not because anybody forced anybody, because Shavuos is over, let's go, right? Like when Shabbos is over, right? It's party time, right? So, but the question that you're asking, I know what you're asking. The question is, why, why did Hashem have to force them? I heard two beautiful answers this Shavuos. Two beautiful answers, because it's really a very good question. It says, that they, they, they received the Torah when Hashem put the Torah over them in the shadow of Harsinai. And the reason Hashem did that, the first answer that I heard, which is very beautiful, is that when they first heard that Hashem wants to give them the Torah, the bottom line is that if the candy man in Shul, if the kid comes to Shul, right, and the candy man says, I have something to give you, do you want it? Every kid's gonna say, of course, he's the candy man. Of course I want it. They're not going to say, well, is it a lollipop or a pretzel or, or a taffy? He's the candy man. So the candy man says, you want me to give you something, right? It's going to be candy. So you're going to say yes. So when Hashem came to the Jewish nation, they knew Hashem, Zekeli van Veil, they knew who it was. They took him out of Mitzrayim. And he says, I have something for you. They figured... It's going to be something awesome. So, of course, I want it. We're going to start asking, like, the Goyim, what's, what does it say in it? Because if, if you don't know he's the candy man, and some guy in shul comes over to a kid and says, I got something in my, in my drawer, you want it? The kid's thinking to himself, I don't know, maybe it's a bomb, maybe he's going to hit me with a shoe. I don't know, I don't, no, I don't want it. My mother said, no, I'm not taking that out. But if you know who he is, and you know he's the candy man. So, the Goyim didn't know who Hashem was. They were totally disconnected. So they said, God, oh, you got something for me? Well, let me see what you got. And when Hashem said, well, you have to keep this message, you have to keep that message, you have to keep that message, they said, I don't want any part of it. The Jews knew who Hashem was. He took us out of Mitzrayim. So when Hashem said, I have something for you, no problem. But what, you'll see what happens in this week's parashah. So Hashem wanted to show them, that's very nice. But there are going to be times that it's not going to be so nice. And you're going to be in the shadow of a mountain. You're going to be in a holocaust. You're going to be in a, in a, in a, in a situation where you're not healthy. You're going to be in a situation where you lost all your money. You're going to be in a situation where you're dating for four years and you didn't find the right guy yet. And it's not the candy man. The Hashem you feel in your heart, he not always does good for me. And I'm going to tell you a story about that. He doesn't always do good for me. So now he wants me to take the Torah. Hashem said, there's going to be times that you're going to be in the shadow of the mountain. I need you to take the Torah in the shadow of the mountain too. You can't just take the Torah when everything is great. You have to be macabre to put it into our DNA, to the Jewish nation's DNA, that when times are not good, to be able to go to a gas chamber and say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Just like you can say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad when you're going to your chuppah, you can say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad when you're going into a gas chamber. And that's underneath the mountain. That's not when everything is good. And Hashem had to put that into our DNA. That it's not always going to be standing by Harsinai with a whole performance with lightning and thunder and angels and smoke and wow! Sometimes it's going to feel like the mountain is coming down on your head and life is not what you expected it to be. Said Hashem, I need you to be macabre the Torah at that, at that point also to put into our generation, into all the generations in our DNA that when things are not so good, to be able to accept the Torah. It's an amazing answer. I never had heard that answer before. The second answer is a medrash. And the, there's a halacha in the Torah, it's called the ma'anes. If a, if a man, chas v'shalom, physically goes and forces a woman, I don't want to use the word, right? He, he finds her in a field and he forces her. He is not ever allowed to divorce her. It's called the ma'anes. Lo lo'aylam. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. If he's ma'anes, this woman, the halachi is, he is never, he has to marry her, if she wants to get married to this guy, if she decides that that's what she wants. 
and he can never divorce her. She can burn his children. She can rip. She can she can make holes in his laundry. She can do pretty much whatever she wants. He he is stuck with her forever. So that's why it's one of the warnings that he shouldn't do such a thing. It's called the ma'anes, ma'anes and a mafata. So of someone who talks a girl into it, he's able to talk her into doing this. Or if he forces her to do it, he's called the ma'anes and mafata. And the halachi is well, yatsalayim. He can never divorce her. If she wants to marry him, he can never divorce her. So the Medrash says that it, this was the chuppah, this was the marriage, Shuas night. So if Hashem were to let us come under the chuppah on our own will, we said, Nasib and Ishma, we love you. Hashem, we want to marry you. Later on in the generations, when we're doing Averis, and we're not doing what we're supposed to do, right? So Hashem could say, that's it. I married you when you were doing mitzvahs and you doing the right thing. But now you're doing Averis, I'm divorcing you. So Kosh Baruch Hu says the Medrash, he forced us. If he forced us, he's called a ma'anes. If he's a ma'anes, he can never let the, he can never divorce the Jews. So Kosh Baruch Hu did it as a ma'anes, whatever that means. He forced the Jews to marry him by putting the mountain over him so that no matter how bad we are, he can never divorce us. He can never divorce us. It's a Medrash. It's a Medrash. Medrash. To understand how much God loves us. That he put himself in a situation that he, that he would be called a ma'anes that he could never ever, ever send us out free. And this is the God that we all have problems and we all have tainas. And, and, and this week's parsha is an amazing parsha. Because what was the Puranius? Okay, so they ran like a bunch of kids out of, you know, they ran. Ran out of Hasinai. They ran. In fact, I think it says that the derech was shleishes yamim. It normally would take three days. They did it in one day. Like a bunch of kids running from school. They did the Nasi in one day with the three day like, let's get out of Hasinai. And I'll tell you what the Medrash says, something funny. It's not funny. What were they saying to each other? If we stay here any longer, he's gonna give us more. <laughs> the Medrash says. The Medrash. Why they run? They figure we got 613. If we stay here another five minutes, it'll be 615. Let's get out of here. And they ran. Can you imagine? They ran away from Hasinai. Sounds like my class. I understand that. I hear what they're saying. I understand what they're saying. It's like sort of if you think I'm old, you know, sometimes when I speak at night, I see this in this room, that I'm saying, and Emetza Hashem, we should all be Zaycher, and before I can say Mashiach Mehevi Menu, like there's ten rows out, they're gone, they're already out the door, you know what I'm saying? Because we know Wallerstein's gonna say, just one more story. You know, I just, I wanna tell you one more thing, we're gonna be at the four in the morning. So they figured, the minute, he, let's get out of here, because same thing with the 613 minutes, they figured, they're gonna sit there, Hashem's going to just come up with more mitzvahs. So they ran. It's a Medrash med- med- says this. Anyway, but it was a very bad thing. It was sort of a kick in Hashem's face. Here he gives us the Torah. And we're like, so we did a three-day trip in one day. Let's get out of here. Let's get as far as we can. So what happens? What happens? And this is really, it's really a shir on Shavuos because here we are. They have to Shavuos. And I really appreciate that you're all here tonight. I want you to know that because I figured, that everyone figured they stayed up Shavuos night already and they just coming off two days of learning so, you know, Wednesday night, you know, skip one Wednesday night. And everyone that's here, I'm, I'm glad that I can because I was thinking that. But anyway, but that's very nice that you came to learn tonight. And that shows that your shvuis was a real shvuis because it's sticking. And that's important. How many people, you know, stay up a whole night and the minute it's time, they're out of that base madrash, you know? And they don't stay up the second night. You don't have to stay up the second night, I'm just saying. But if you could, but if you could walk away from shvuis and say, most people that I spoke to, they said like, I can't believe I made it. I walked around. I threw water on my face. I, I, I was chewing taffy a whole night. Everyone came up with different ideas. One guy smelled ammonia every half an hour. One had different ideas on, on how how they're going to struggle, you know, to stay up that, that that whole night. And they're like, I made it. You know, Rebbe, I made it. Instead of Rebbe, that was amazing. I stayed up a whole night and I learned Torah. So you know what? Maybe in the middle of the summer, not sure it's night, I'm going to do this again. Why not? I did it Shavuot's night. Why can't I do it any night? Instead of walking away, they're running away. It's like Shavuot's is over. Sphere is over. Everything's over. It's party time. It's summertime. We're going to camp. We're going to the mountains. We're going to the Hamptons. Everywhere. Instead of saying, I had Shavuot's, ah, or now I had an Avenue J, three Shurim. This is crazy. I stayed up from a quarter to 12 to 3.30 and I learned Torah. And I was awake. And it was fun. And I enjoyed it. Maybe one night in two, three weeks, I'm going to stay up and learn for two hours. Then you know that you got the real Shavuos. Instead of running away from Shavuos, 
and saying Shavuos is over, Shavuos is over, Pesach is over. We got eight weeks of summer, let's have a good time. Then you didn't get what you were supposed to get on Shavuos. This is what happened to the Jewish nation. Because they ran away, the nun that separates the two parashas is as following. And the nation became complainers. Now they were just at Harsinai. Rab Oznei Hashem. Bad in the ears of Hashem. Vayishma Hashem. And Hashem heard what they were talking about. Vayichar Apo. He became angry. Vativa boy Ish. Hashem. and the part that's not needed. 
And the, the, the human... Okay, well, I'm going to go there for a second. I'm going to get a lot of questions about this. I'm going to go there for a second. So the Zara explains that when you eat, let's say, an apple, right? So in that apple, there's toive and rock. Everything in this world has toive and rock, good and bad. So when you make a bracha, when you make a bracha, so that's the bracha you give to Hashem. You take that physical thing and you make it spiritual. The waste part that you digest, that goes through your intestines, and you, get, you, you take everything that your body needs, and then you have to wait until your body gets rid of, that goes to the other side. That goes to the sun. That goes to the dark side. That's why you're coming. That's why you have to wash your hands when you go to the bathroom. So the, the, the vision of everything that you eat, there's a part that goes to the world, and there's a part for the other heaven to leave us alone. That's for the other heaven. And even on that, after you go to the bathroom, make Ashiyatza, there's a Kedusha even in, 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 in the way. But we as humans actually split good and bad. That's what we do. The Psylets and, and what the person needs. The Mon was cool and spiritual. So there was no Psylets because the Mon was totally spiritual. It had no physical part. And therefore, they didn't have to go to the bathroom. And they can imagine that it was anything that they wanted. But they wanted to feel and to taste and to have it between their teeth. And that's why later on the market happened, they died with food between their teeth. And that all came from running away from Rasina. Running away from the spirituality. Because where were they running, girls? Where were they running? They ran away from the Harsina. Where were they running? They were running to the physical world. They were running out of the Mishmash and they were going on the internet. They were going to the internet. They were going to the Goyish music, and they were going to all the Goyish things and things that are not for a Jew, and they were right to it. So what they ran to it, they said, what do I need this month for, even though it can taste like anything, and it's so true. So true. I just had a discussion a few weeks ago. I don't like really to talk about drugs. It's really not a subject you can talk about. Talk about intimate, talk about rap music, Every once in a while, also something that I, I pretty much don't talk that much about because it's not a man subject, like you can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Drugs, I don't really talk about that much, but I talk quite a lot about kids about And there was a kid that came to my share a few weeks ago, and right after the share, he came out and said, Rabbi, that was a spiritual mind. That story you said about this guy dancing with the toilet, that was crazy. He said, Rabbi, I was higher than a kite. Now, I heard that expression, but not after one of my shearers. <laughs> so I said to him, you see, you don't need drugs. You don't need to smoke marijuana. You need a good shear. You need a good shear. You need a good vatora. You know, the kind that makes you dance in the kitchen. He said, what he said to me, exactly what they said. He said, it's a high, and I love that story, but you can't touch it. Rabbi, you can't touch it. And I'm like, no. It's the other stuff that you think you're touching, that's not touching. That's a finger, that's a hand, that's nothing. He said, when you hear a God Torah, and you're fine, and you're higher than a kite, then your soul touches it. It's a big deal, your finger touches it. After 120, it's gone. It's gone. But when you walk out of sheer, you're on a high? What touched the shear? What part of your body touched the shear? Your ear? No. Your soul. But that's the true high. And you try to tell me, no, you got you got you gotta smoke it, man. You gotta, you know, you gotta take it in. You gotta And I'm like, nah, that's nothing. That's only a moment. Because everything physical is only a moment. Nothing physical last night. Good about Tyra. Say over and over and over and every time you say over, you get more excited about it. And that's what they were saying over here. They were saying over here because they ran away from the Torah. They were saying over here, Torah was good, she's not going to think this is good, but I didn't touch it. I want to go back to my pickles. Because my pickles I can touch, and my salmon, my fish I can touch. It was the Kina, there was no connection. And when they said that, the first time we're finding the Torah, unless you have been lost it. Shabbat was the most patient leader. They were down for us. They were protected us. But Yom HaMoshe HaMashem. Long, long, a race allowed them. Why did you do this to me? 
I'm Moshe Rabbeinu, I'll bounce them, they, they, they can serve idols, and I'll get, I'll get you not to be angry at them. But I can't deal with people who are unappreciated. Therefore, I shall put upside down in the Bible. Because these two parashas could not be together or we wouldn't be here today. The parasha of being ungrateful and the parasha of running away from this is a very small, small world. That's why they That is why they So, I think that coming out of Shluis, one of the things that we should say is that we should have won like little children out of school. You stayed up for three hours, so maybe from now on, stay up for 20 minutes and learn a lesson a day from the Chalk time. And where did that come from? Because I'm not even stay up for it, I'm stay up for I want to tell you a story. Actually, two little stories. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the questions I'm asked very often is, is a question everybody asks very often, is, Sabe, Ralo, you see so many good people, they do such good things, they have such a miserable life. We see such evil people that we have such an unbelievable one. There's a question that Dora Melech and Moshe Rabbeinu really wanted an answer from Hashem. It bothers us, we're human beings. It bothers us. Like, like, this is how we suffering. And, 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 and this other person is part of I have many different stories to explain it. But, but Jews who are not religious and, and, and Jews who want, who want to become religious, that's one of their questions that they ask in their life. So many good people die in the Holocaust. And, 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 and so many, it's also a choice, you know? You can look at the Holocaust and, not, and, and throw away Judaism, and you can look at the Holocaust and, and become the most religious person in the world. And, and so many, the Holocaust is not that many survivors. We were speaking to survivors today. I was just speaking to one on Shabbos that, that, that was, I mean, a choice, that, that, that's a person's choice. And, and they, they have family that we can't even understand this though. There's no way that I can understand that I have children. No way that I can say, I know people who had a whole family in Europe, six, seven, eight children, their children, each one was killed, and their wife was killed, and they came to America, and instead of just giving up, they married another woman, and they had second families, and those families don't even know if their father was once married before. Because he doesn't want to tell them that, because that makes them not so special. So that at the end of their lives, they start telling children, by the way, you know, I light a candle for my seven or eight children that I lost in Ashland. And where do they get this clan to go on? After losing the shot in front of them, the woman stuff to go on? Because I told you this, and I'll tell it to you again, because I think the most important lesson in life. Most of the things in our life, we have no machine, we have no choice. You don't have choice, though. Trust me. Very little choice. Humans don't like to hear that. Because we want to have choice. There's very little choice in life. If you look at your life, who your parents are, not your choice. Where you live, not your choice. Who's your family, not your choice. Most of the important things in your life, who you're going to marry, not your choice. You think it's your choice, not your choice. Forty days before you're born, they say, who are you going to marry? What kind of choice is that? How you're going to get to that person is a different angle. But not your choice. They announce it in Shemayim. How much money are you going to make this year? Not your choice. Hashem says in Rosh Hashanah, exactly to the dollar, not your choice. What your IQ is, not your choice. What midos you have that you're born with, that you have a fast temper, that you cheat, that you're kind, not your choice. You were born with that midos. Now you got to work, try to change it, something else. The color of your hair, the color of your eyes, or DNA, what does DNA mean? DNA means that it wasn't up to you. It was from the people before you. So, 99.9 things in life, as hard as it is to accept as you and me, you go through it, wasn't your choice. Sometimes God likes to make us believe it's our choice. Wasn't your choice. Right? We all believe in that. So, what is your choice? What did you put me down here for? I'm a little rat running through the, through the maze. That's like, put me in our shed, I have no choice, right? Run through the maze and let's see how you get out. And the answer is, you have one choice. One choice in life. What's that choice? What to do with what you don't have a choice? It's not a joke and it's not a pun. What do you do? Your parents aren't your choice. 
Your husband ain't your choice. How much money is not your choice? What you look like is not your choice. Most of your life is not your choice. What are you going to do with it? You're going to sit and fetch? You're going to get depressed and pop pills? What's your choice? Or you're going to get up and say, this wasn't my choice. Whatever I should give you isn't my choice. So my choice is, I'm going to make the best of it. Those are your two choices. Two choices in life. What are you going to do with what you have? Okay. Use it for the good, use fire to warm it to cook, and to give light, or use fire to burn and destroy millions of acres. That's your choice. Question. That's not the choice either. You're born a Jew. It's not a choice. You can be a non-Jew. You become a Jew. Honestly, it's also not really this choice. And I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one. I, I, I hate to bust your bubble. You know, because we like to like that. Everything's my choice. The fear is, what you do with the stuff that's not your choice? What do you do with your family? What do you do with your parents? What do you do with your money situation? What do you do with what you, where you live? What do you do with what you look like? What do you do with it? Do you use it for the right or do you use it for the wrong? That's your choice of life. And that's what they're going to ask you. Something you give different husband when you come to Shemayim. What I gave you, those were, that's your pack. That's your backpack. How did you use your backpack? Somebody asked me about a non-Jew, so I'm going to tell you something very fascinating. So why do some non-Jews become Jews? <coughs> We are not missionaries. We don't go out and get them. They have an urge. They have a feeling. They want to become a Jew. Where does it come from? There's two answers. There's two answers. Amazing answers. Every year, every year, at the end of time, either comes from two places. One, when Hashem went to all the nations and asked them, do you want the Torah? The nations said, what do you say in the Torah? And Hashem says, you're not allowed to kill. Asa said, no, not for us. You're not allowed to kill. Moab, nope, not for us. Moab, you can't commit adultery. Nope, not for us. Everybody had their not for us. Right? America, whatever, I'm not going to get it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> everybody said not for us. By the way, important on camera, I said that the new dollar point that they made was not saying God we trust. I don't know if I said it here, but I said it in Eric's as well. And I said we're in very big trouble because the big Gunnel said that as long as it says in God we trust on our money, America will do well. And then it doesn't say. So this lady came up to me, actually here, she said, Verwalski, you have to write a letter, you have to send it to all your girls, that the American government just minted the, the dollar with Washington on it, it's a little point, the dollar point with Washington on it, and if you look at it, both sides, it doesn't say in God we trust. So I said, you know what, we're pretty much done, that's why gas prices are flying, we're in a recession, depression, whatever you want to call it, we're done skis. They took off in godly trust. It's over. And I went around Israel to 17 seminaries, and I'm telling them, stay here. The Shia's coming. We don't have the godly trust on our, on our point anymore. It's over. Okay. So last week, I came up and said, hey, welcome. I heard you talking about this point. I'm like, hey, can you imagine? You look on both sides. Let's say godly trust. He said, yeah. But if you look on the rim of the point, Says he and God So what did they do? Latin, Latin, Latin. They put it on the edge of the coin. You gotta do this. Here I am, they built the left. So that's what I have to control. They put it, so it's not on the coin, on both sides of the coin. It's on the rim. It's written on the rim, where nobody looks for, right? So that when you hand the coin to somebody, what do you see? You see the rim. So they came up with this great thing that if you want to put it on the rim, so that when one person hands it to the other, that's what they're going to see. And meanwhile, I'm speaking about how they took it off. <laughs> so it's on the point. I apologize to the United States government. <laughs> <laughs> and God, we do trust. Anyway, to be honest, I didn't see it. And uh, wherever that girl is, gave me the point. Next time, please give me something like that. Please check it out. Okay. So, there's two stories right now. One story, I don't know, I think I've said it here before. It's really a very long story. Maybe I'll say it for next week. Um, I will say it for next week. So, I'm just going to tell you the story of what, what I tell people who want to know why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. I'm going to give you a marshal. 
listen to this very, if you need this in Kira, if you ever talk to somebody, it's a very, very important story. So there's people who live in the woods, and they're not in civilization at all. They don't believe in cars and doctors and hospitals and medicine. They live in the woods, they live off the roots and the sap and the bark and all the different parts of the woods. They're very natural people. One day, this little boy was part of the village becomes very, very sick. He's running this crazy temperature. And you know, he got this medicine man, and he's giving him snake venom and acorns and dancing around with a funny head thing on, and some makeup all over his face, and singing all kinds of kind of songs, and no matter how much he does, the first time he can't heal a kid, and the kid's temperature is rising and rising. So he turns around to the parents and says, Listen, until now we never need a civilization, but maybe you should go into the city. And take them to, they have also, I'm a witch doctor, but you should take them to like a, a regular doctor. I can't seem to heal. So they're very scared, they never went into civilization. A doctor, a hospital, whatever, they don't understand. You know, they're living out in the woods, they look different, they look different. But they want to save their child, so they come to the outskirts of the city, and they see a human being, and they walk over and say, Our child is very sick. What do you do with sick children? So they say, Oh my goodness, the child really looks sick. You have to take it to the hospital. Okay? He says, but you know you have to pay. They're like, we don't have money. <laughs> we don't have money. Anyway, so he said, okay, then you have to go to the clinic in the hospital. Whatever, leave me, leave me to the clinic. Fine. They take these, this mother and the son and the father to the clinic. And they're sitting in the clinic, and they have all these babies sick and crying with needles and, and all kinds of stuff, coughing, pneumonia, all the places. And everyone says, and this, this guy is just sitting there with their child. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting there in, in their, whatever, however they're dressed from the woods, and they would totally. Everybody's staring at them, right? And, um, okay, they're waiting. The nurse says, soon they're going to pull you in. We'll take you to the doctor. This guy, he's like a little nervous. He figures before he gives his child to the doctor, he wants to see what the doctor does. So he sneaks down the wall, and he peeks in the room. What he sees. Now you have to remember, girl, if you're coming out of the woods, not you personally, but you have to think like you're coming out of the woods, right? It's the first time you're in civilization, and you're going to the witch doctor, the doctor that's going to fix your child. So like, he walks to the wall, he opens the door a crack, and this is what he sees. He sees this little baby, little father, three years old. The mother is holding down the hands of the child. Father is holding down the legs of the child. Now they don't do that in the woods, right? Okay. So he's looking at it, and the kid is screaming. He's like, what are they doing? All of a sudden, this guy has this white going on, right? And he takes this thing off the table. He's got this long needle. This guy's like, what's he going to do with that? He gives a little sprint, enough to make sure it works. He says, hold him tight! Don't let him move! Now remember, girls, the first time you were ever in civilization. Don't let him move! You're sitting there, you're like, oh my god, what are you going to do, right? He takes his needle and sticks it into the thigh of the child. And the child starts wailing. He jumps. He runs to his wife. He picks up his kid. Let's get out of here. Let's go back to the woods. She's like, why? He says, they kill their children. They hold them down. Then they stick a thing into them. And they kill them. Let's get out of here. And they start running. And they're running down the hall of this hospital. And they see this man sitting in a wheelchair. He's like, help me. I'm so thirsty. I need a drink. By the way, we're making a play. In February, I'm trying it. Anyway. So, we all are making a play. We'll talk about that. But I'm trying it. Anyway. So let me know afterwards if we go to the job. If I'm drunk, I need a bunch of better book. Anyway. Help me. I need a drink. And then these people now, this mother and husband and wife are watching the little kid. Okay, let's see how the humans treat their old people. Right? We know they kill their kids. Let's see how they treat their old people, right? And there's a nurse standing next to the old man. She goes, Are you very thirsty? Oh, very thirsty. Okay. She runs to the soda machine. She puts a dollar in. She gets this ice cold candle. So, you know that way. The guy's like, Oh, man. Right? She gives him the coat. He's like gurgling it down. They walk out of the hospital and they got to report now. 
back to the woods. They come running back to the woods. And they go, no! Did the doctor help you? The doctor help me? They're crazy. They kill their kids, but at least they take care of their old people. He told this old man, he was very thirsty, they killed his brown stuff down his mouth. Not stuff that we would ever drink, right? But he looked down his mouth, and, 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 and it's like a weird world, the civilized world. Then the kid continues being sick, and the, the, the doctor, you shouldn't have a doctor in the woods, he says, listen, I understand what you're so trying to do, but we must be missing something, because that's called civilization. Maybe you can go back and see what's going on. I don't want to go back. No, let's go back right now. Let me go back. They go money back. They come back to the clinic. And now they see the same parent of that kid that they stuck, that they held, that they squeezed, right? And they're standing by the gentleman saying, how much do we owe you? And they're like, $100. And they're like, thank you, doctor. Thank you, nurse. It's a pleasure to give you $100. And the guy's freaking out. They pay this man to stick needles into their child. They're, 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 they're crazy. And they're just totally frightened. We're not doing this. They go back to the hall. And meanwhile, the nurse, the nurse that gave that guy the soda, she's in handcuffs. There's two cops next to her. And they're like, we're taking you to jail. This is the fifth time you did this, and this is it. It's going to be the last time. We may even get you the death sentence. He is a this man, but this is not normal. This big deal that that this lady saved this man's life. Now they're gonna give her a little they're gonna, they're gonna kill her. And he's so mixed up. But his wife is much smarter than usually they are. <laughs> and I thought well, the boy should look a little bit of a problem. Anyway. So his wife says to him, Kaya, Kaya can't be what we see can't be right. Let's ask what's going on. So they turn to the policeman and they say, excuse me, sir, but that man was so thirsty and she gave him the drink. Why would you why would you put him in put her in jail? What did she do? He said, Do you see the man's not here anymore? He died right away. What do you mean? He said this nurse gets jobs with old people, with diabetics. She gets them so thirsty she gives them a can of coke and it kills them. She murders them. This time she did it. But this time we quarter. her. She's like, what? Yeah, she's a murderer. She set the whole thing up. He's like, okay, hold on. You know, running back to the clinic, and he walks over to the doctor and he says, you know, what I just saw today was like, Sam, why do you do this? That you go down to the child and you stick a needle into the child. He says, no, you don't understand. He said, in that needle, it's medicine. So the child has a moment of pain. We have to sometimes hold the child down. But it has a moment of pain. And from that moment of pain, this medicine goes right into the pain. And by tonight, this kid had pneumonia. By tonight, this kid's pneumonia is going to be gone pretty much. The temperature is going to be all the way down. We pretty much say it's life. Now, this is a very normal story. This is not a crazy story. Because if you never saw a doctor's office before, and you would walk into a doctor's office for the first time in your life, you would think that human beings, if a Martian came down, you would think that human beings are absolutely not normal. But they take little kids, they take a stick, they throw it down, they open his mouth, and go, ah, the kid's jacking, he's screaming, then they stick a light to his ear, then they stick a light to his nose, then they stick a light to his throat, then they say, let's really check him out, we need to make him gag it up with a stick. Imagine, see, we don't know what they're doing, but they don't know the Martian, what they're doing. So they take these warm tips, right? They make the kid open his mouth, he stick them all the way in, Thank <laughs> you. 
medicine from, from a Marshall point of view is absolutely the same. Please. Crazy. I don't know if you ever think that medicine is that one medicine that I mean, I my daughter has to take. It's white. You ever tasted that? You didn't throw up with amazing. It's like the most bitter, disgusting, I don't know which medicine I've got from it is. And that's the one that they give to all the kids. And, and like drug, drug companies have billions of dollars that can't make something that you can take. No, I have to make it white with pieces. Oh, my God, like, don't give me the white with pieces, right? So if you look at all this, you're like, this is an insane world. That is Sadiq Aralloy and Russia the president. We go through stuff in life, girls. We go through pain, we get needles, and we get medicine. It's the acute down our throat. I'm talking about spiritually. But Hashem is doing all this. Hashem is doing this, even though in our eyes as human beings, it looks like this is crazy. We're, we're, we're sticking needles into people's arms. No, if you if you can understand this muscle, because Baruchu, to the Tzadik, he needs a needle, whatever, he did a faith, whatever the reason. So that when he comes back to the next world, he's healthy. He's healthy. The Russia, he's getting the can of Coke, he's getting all the good stuff, he's not going to live in the next world. So if we can understand that a Martian that would come to this world doesn't understand silly doctors all how do you expect to understand Hashem's world? So you have to be macabre that the clinic, which is this world, and the doctor, which is Hashem, because Baruch whatever is happening to us, because is taking care of us. Therefore, what looks like bad for the topic, what looks like a needle for the kid, is really playful. It's really pretty. And what looks like the great for the old man who's very thirsty, getting Coca-Cola, which is going to kill him, for the, for the Russia, it's really Wow. So my brother to everyone in this room is that Hashem should give you clarity. You came back, you came out after Shuiz, that part of the Matan Torah should be that you should be able to hold on to it, you should be able to accept it, and that we should that I could work who should bring the Shia so that we can understand, so we can have the clarity and understand that the things that we think are bad are really good. And the things that we think are so good that everybody's going after is really not good. We want you to have a slokha and slokha, as they say, at the end of Shuas, when you go to what's called the Ilas Achai, at the end of Shuas, they have a little party in Shul, and they have the Ilas Achai, and they sing the Shadabah Yishamayim, and everybody wishes to each other in Yiddish, the Hoven Agut Zuma, you should have a good summer, a summer of growth, a summer of Simchus, and a summer of Yeshua for God's Christ. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.